This is Kanzen Shu, the podcast, episode 362 for the week of May 4th, 2014. What up, hey, also welcome to Kanzen Shu, the podcast. It's right, an extension of the all encompassing Dragon Ball fan site, KanzenShu.com. We cover anything, we get that website address much earlier than we usually do. Cover anything and everything Dragon Ball in hopes of enlightening and a little bit, oh, the entertaining. Joining you once again, but I have a co host this episode the whole way through. My name is Mike Vegito EX. It has been special guests for a while now, but finally, one of my Shu cohorts, Jake, Mr. Herms, always a pleasure. Are you implying that I'm not special? No, you're very special, but it's been <laughs> the outside of the special, the extra special, if you will. How you doing, man? It's been a long time. Yeah. At least in internet time. It's been 17 trillion years in internet time. <laughs> exactly. It's good to have you. I have a lot of stuff to catch up with you on, uh, and we have a great topic this week. We were kind of on the same page with the topic, uh, I was talking with you about translating other things, and you said, hey, what are you doing for a podcast? I'm like, oh, this is my kind of idea. Oh, that's kind of my idea, too. So I figured, well, let's just go ahead and record that. This week, Jake, we are talking about Toriyama. What's he doing, man? He's saying stuff. <laughs> so much stuff. All of the stuff he is saying. All of it. Everything he could say, he is saying. So we're going to talk uh, a little bit about what Toriyama has been doing. If this is a good idea, it's a little bit an extension of uh, last week on the show when Lance was here talking about Dragon Ball Minus. That was kind of the start of the extra information over these last couple months. Now we got interviews up the wazoo. What is Toriyama doing? Do we agree? That is our topic. Jake, I like I was just saying though, I wanted to catch up with uh, you in particular on a couple different things. Now, of all the four of us on the site, none of us have played Dragon Ball Online, yet you're the one most familiar with Dragon Ball Online, right? Uh, I suppose, even though I I have also never played it. Right. What What is your experience? Is it uh, Chinese to Japanese to English, a little bit of Taiwanese? <laughs> what is your background here? Well, I guess like probably most of you, I just started hearing about it on the forums from people who were translating information from Korean. I just kind of kept up with it on that side because, you know, obviously I don't know Korean, so a little hard for me that way. It's kind of annoying because, you know, with Dragon Ball, at least I've known Japanese for a long time now, so I don't have to really rely on other people to translate. But when it comes to this game, I've been the same as everyone else and been kind of helpless. Right. We're always uh, talking about, you know, you got to go to the primary source. What is that? Well, none of us can read it, so we're stuck. Yeah. And so a while back there, I actually kind of got fed up. And at the time, no one had produced a really competent translation of the official timeline for the game. And, you know, Google Translate, it's not really good with Asian languages, Right, like right. it doesn't it doesn't do good from Asian languages into English, but I eventually figured out that if I do it from Korean to Japanese, it's a lot more workable. And so I did that, and then I did a Japanese translation of a Google translation of Korean. And then about a year after that, I think uh, the Devil's Corpse on the forum got an actual Korean speaker to tr- do a proper translation of the Korean timeline. Which, so in retrospect, it looked like my crazy thing had actually been more or less accurate yeah that's good and i mean there's some naming things here and there but that's the kind of yeah the proper nouns you'd expect to kind of fudge with a little bit but overall pretty good we've talked about that in the past now jake the reason i bring this up is last time on the show i was just mentioning i talked with lance about bardock and what has been done to bardock and someone uh kind of subtly implied hey you forgot about bardock and i went oh my god you're right we totally forgot about an entirely separate alternate history 
for Bardock. Jake, Dragon Ball Online heavily features Bardock. Yeah, so one of the ongoing plot lines in the game, to the extent that it has one, is that Bardock in this version... Uh, okay, so the thing is, we never get... The game kind of stopped. It got canceled. So we right. don't have a true explanation of exactly what happened. But as far as we can tell, Bardock, he was supposed to have been killed in Planet Vegeta's destruction. He was actually saved by the villain of Dragon Ball Online, the Pale Man Mira, who then brainwashes him or something and makes him his servant... And so then he sends Bardock back in time to various points in the series to do his bidding. And then at one point, Bardock regains his uh, memory and sac seems to sacrifice himself to destroy Mira. But then it turns out that both of them are still alive somehow. And as far as I know, that's where the story was left off in the game. Yeah, yeah I was just uh, reading through the, uh, the the timeline here and it's like, oh man, that's right. The masked man, I remember hearing about that. And then Bardock had... Almost this uh, cybernetic kind of look to him a little bit, right? Yeah, like I, I assume that was to control him, but he wears right. this kind of uh, this technology that all of the pale man's servants have, and it's got it's got the, like their logo, and it's he's got like this gel, this container that seems to contain a sort of liquid that was theorized to be the thing doing the brainwashing or whatever. Oh, Dragon Ball Online! So uh, you can toss that extra history for Bardock as I don't know if it's the, the fifth appearance of Bardock in some kind of extra story if you want to. I mean, it's its whole own thing. So I'll relink the uh, the, the second translation of this timeline here. You can uh, check out a little bit more about Bardock. But yeah, shame on us for forgetting that. But at the same time, uh, Lance hasn't played it. I haven't played it. Even Jake, you haven't played it. Uh, with that being said, one other thing I wanted to catch up with you on, uh, I mentioned this a couple times on the show, you were at KawaiiCon over there in Hawaii and got to see a little bit of Masako Nozawa. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, so let's see, that was three weeks ago, I believe. So long story short, I live in Honolulu right now, and so... Very conveniently, Kawaii Khan was held in Honolulu, so while most of the people in the world could simply not afford to travel all the way here to meet Minozawa, I just had to walk down the street for 10 minutes. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, that was fun. There was uh, a couple points you were almost hesitant to explain a couple things. I was kind of hoping you should uh, get into that a little bit. Yeah, so this was a three-day convention. She was there for the first two days, Friday and Saturday, and actually I couldn't get to see her on Friday just due to work stuff and whatnot. And But then I was there Saturday, and so it was a fairly straightforward Q&A. I say that, though, this was actually my first anime con ever, so I assume... <laughs> That's crazy to me. <laughs> I assume this was straightforward. It seems straightforward. Anyway, so she came out, you know, there's a little stage up front. She sat down with a host and a translator, but the host himself knew Japanese, too, so, like, he'd say stuff in English, and then he'd kind of say the same thing to her in Japanese, and then mm. she'd, she'd talk, and then the translator would, uh, you know, give the English translation... So I effectively ended up hearing pretty much everything said twice. <laughs> right. Yeah. But even so, like after the fact, it did get a little, little hard to remember exactly like word for word what was said. But I guess what you're referring to is that the one of the things she said, she said things that seemed to imply that there might be another movie or something in the pipeline. So they asked her like, oh, is there going to be a new movie? And she said, in effect, it's a secret. But if there's a new movie, everyone should please go out and buy it when it comes out on DVD. Uh-huh. And then, so later in the Q&A, uh, I actually got the chance to ask my own question. 
And so I was sitting there the whole time as other people asking questions, just trying to come up with like a question that would be worthy of Konzenshu. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, I was I felt the same way during animation. I couldn't muster up anything for Nozawa. I'll just sit here and bask in the glory. Yeah, it's like, oh, do you like Bardock? No. It's like, <laughs> okay. I don't know. So, but what? So eventually, what I came up with, well, is a little problematic because earlier in when they were doing the interview, the interviewer had mentioned Battle of Gods, but he had said specifically that he didn't want to give away the ending for anyone who hadn't seen it because it was so different than any previous Dragon Ball movie. Right. Of course. And so. I wanted to ask Nozawa about like what were her feel essentially what were her feelings doing a movie where at the end Goku loses right and of course we're spoiling it here because it's been out for a while yeah we you've seen Whoops. It. whatever sorry oh well but since the hosts had specifically said oh I don't want to spoil it I didn't really want to uh, flat out ask that so I did this kind of roundabout thing where I'm like uh, you know, as previously mentioned, the ending of Battle of Gods is very different from previous movies. So what were your feelings about the ending? And, you know, the host, uh, the interviewer, he, he kind of knew what I was getting at. And so yeah. I think it worked out fairly well. Anyway, so in short, uh, Nozawa's answer was that, like, what she likes about Goku is that he's always a student. Like, most people, uh, most characters in fiction, when they're really strong, they're, they just stop learning because they think, oh, I'm the, I'm the best. I don't need to learn anymore. But Goku is always trying to improve. And so that's what she liked about the ending. And then she said, like, uh, the ending, it gives you expectations for uh, the story to continue. She says, like, with most movies, the end just wraps everything up and that's the end. But with this movie, it hints at that there's going to be more later. And it like gives you expectations for when Goku will uh, train more and quote rechallenge the God of Destruction. Mm-hmm. And the really weird part is that you know I'm listening to Nozawa say this in Japanese, and then when the translator you know she goes through it again, and like at the end, instead of saying the bit about oh here rechallenge the God of Destruction, she just said the translator just like trailed off and said oh spoilers, which I thought was hilarious. But I mean I I assume because if she said oh he needs to rechallenge the God of Destruction, that would imply that. He he had lost the first time, so that would give away the ending. Gotcha. So, Jake, here's the question. I mean, Battle of Gods did well. I mean, it's very likely we're going to get another movie. It's They don't need to confirm it. it. It seems pretty obvious that, I mean, the way things are heading, Dragon Ball's popularity is back up, merchandise is selling again. Of course, they'll do a new movie. Do you get the impression, or rather, did you get the impression that whatever this production may or may not be, might be further along in discussions than we think? I mean, it's hard to say because, well, for one thing, like I said, this is my first, I don't have a lot of experience with these conventions and what people typically say. So to me, it did seem to imply that something was further along in the works than we might think mm-hmm. but but it could just be marketing not marketing speak but you know just this thing actors say like yeah yeah just showbiz talk that doesn't necessarily mean anything and i don't even know like if nozawa would even be how in touch with production she would be like you know i don't know how if you're making a movie at what point you would actually even give definitive information to the voice actors and actresses sure sure yeah so you know, don't listen to what I say. I don't know anything. Uh, it just seemed to be a little bit of extra kind of, oh, oh, really? Hmm. Than we normally get. And it could mean something. It could mean nothing. It could just be the standard look forward to it. But uh, I wanted to talk about it and get your thought. Otherwise, how was the convention? I mean, good times? Yeah, it was pretty good for a first convention, I guess. I don't have yeah. anything previously to compare it to. Right. So <laughs> not totally turned off. If she showed up again, would you go? Oh, I'd definitely go in a heartbeat. Okay. Yes. And so after... After that, I did get her signature on my copy of Chosen Shoe 4. Nice. Actually, 
like while I was waiting in this super long line, that's when I was tweeting most of this information. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. So I'm kind of bored. And so, you know, I tweeted the thing about, oh, she kind of seems to say there's a new movie. And then afterwards, I'm thinking, should I have tweeted that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. Too late. Too late now. <laughs> Lack of judgment on all of our parts on Twitter oh, well. many times. All right. So that's kind of uh, the catch up stuff I've got with you. Let's uh, I mean, some sad news. We have a little bit of news and then we'll hit our topic. The only real news we have for you this week that's not Dragon Ball content is that we unfortunately did lose another voice actor this week. It was Koji Yada, the voice of Dr. Garrow. He played Dr. Garrow every single time Dr. Garrow has ever appeared in anything. Throughout the entirety of DBZ, his appearance in DBZ Movie 7, uh, into Dragon Ball GT, every single video game Dr. Garrow was in, and he did make it through, of course, the entirety of Dragon Ball Kai, the Cell arc a couple years ago. Uh, and I didn't realize this off the top of my head, but he actually played Dr. Kochin in DBZ movie too. So it was Dr. Cochin before he was Dr. Garrow. Uh, sadly, he did pass away this last week at age 81 due to kidney failure. Uh, we will do a little something with Yada a little later on this episode. Uh, Jake, do you have any thoughts on Koji Yada? Well, it's sad, but again, it's, you know, it's just part of the recent trend. It's a 30 year old series. So sadly, this is the sort of thing we going to have to expect i know i mean we've talked a lot about we had a couple younger folks in the series at the time but all in all i mean there were a ton of veteran voice actors that came on dragon ball it's why it's so highly regarded i mean between shinsuke kikuchi coming from so many prior works and all the the voice cast coming from so many prior works and certainly a production of its time that we uh fondly remember and we will miss yada again stay tuned later this episode for a little more on him so with that all said Toriyama, what you doing? Jake, in addition to Dragon Ball Minus as a part of, really, Jocko the Galactic Patrolman, which we talked extensively about last week, uh, we have two, well, maybe four, depending on how you want to classify it, big info dumps from Akira Toriyama this last week, and really the same day, it was May 2nd, that we got the June 2014 issue of Psycho Jump, and then we had volumes 4, 5, and 6 of the Artificial Humans and Cell arc of the Full Color Comics over in Japan, all coming from Shueisha. And we got them all translated. Julian took the Psycho Jump, you took the Full Color stuff, got them up on the site, and wow, did we learn a whole bunch of stuff, and wow, did we really want to know some of this stuff. Yep. That's, I guess, it in a nutshell. Let's uh, let's talk, I guess, a little bit about what's in each of these info dumps. Uh, and the big question we're going to come back to at the end is, is this what we want right now? So the uh, the Psycho Jump Q&A was actually another one from Naho Oishi asking questions to Akira Toriyama, kind of similar to what usually goes on. I mean, she's being serialized over there with Dragon Ball SD. She's kind of the, uh, the Dragon Ball puppet <laughs> throughout uh, Psycho Jump. She's asking the questions here. This Q&A was broken down into a couple sections. We had Mr. Satan, we had Majin Buu and folks, we had the Kaioshin, and then we had a little bit of extra character stuff. Now, Jake, some of this is not really new information. Some of it kind of is, and then the other stuff that's out of left field. Uh, maybe we'll just talk um, just about the sections here as a whole. The Mr. Satan stuff kind of... Some of the most interesting, I know you had a little or a little concern about some of the uh, the timing here, though. Basically, Mr. Satan, uh, yeah, he's strong for a dude. Oh, and yeah, he fought at the dojo, and oh, he had a master. Yeah, so uh, the first question was, uh, how did Mr. Satan learn martial arts? Did he have a teacher? And Toriyama says that, yes, he did. He trained at a dojo named Satan Castle, 
And so when he became world champion, he started to be called Mr. Satan after the name of his dojo. And then one day when he and his master, they were on some kind of like tour, like a tour athletes do, I guess. And so they were touring South City and they're at a bar when they happened to run into none other than Tao Pai Pai. And they rather stupidly made fun of his hairstyle. And so he killed them. Well, he killed the master and then Satan somehow or another got off with only heavy injuries. And so <laughs> as he always does, never dies. Yep, immortal gag character. And so uh, from then on, he solemnly swore to never uh, mess with any opponents if he didn't really know who they were or what they were, or if they just seemed really strong. So this seems to be this long explanation just to tell us why he is the way he is. And that's kind of okay. But what was your concern about the timing here? It's not really a concern. It's just something I think is funny. Okay. okay so now, obviously, Toriyama, he doesn't really keep uh, much mind on the really little details. But okay, so officially, Mr. Satan is the same age as Krillin. And so if you think about this, this would mean that during the Red Ribbon Army arc, Mr. Satan would only be about 13, same age as Krillin. And so if you think about him being world champion and getting into a fight with Tao Pai Pai, this leaves either two possibilities. The first is that this was after Tao Pai Pai fought Goku, which would mean he'd presumably be cyborg Tao Pai Pai, uh-huh. which in itself would just be hilarious. Just them in a bar. Well, first off, the idea of a cyborg in a bar. Right. And then them seeing the cyborg and being like, hey, cyborg, you've got a funny hairdo. And then the alternative to that is that if this was before Tao Pai Pai fought Goku, it would mean that Mr. Satan became world champion when he's like 12. Which is totally possible yeah in the dragon ball world that's the sort of thing that happens all the time but usually with like guys who are half alien or something like that but you know neither of these possibilities are something we can rule out because dragon ball is crazy like that but i think it's safe to say toriyama probably didn't have either of these in mind he's because he's not thinking oh mr satan is this age and then this year tau pai pai becomes a cyborg he's just saying stuff and then the other answer there is just kind of Confirming what we already know, that Videl's mom passed away, and it's just the two of them. The the bit we get there is they have lots of servants, which I'm not entirely surprised. Yeah, uh, in the manga, I know Videl says she has a cook. Mm-hmm. And also their ro- their house has like 50 rooms in it. So right, that makes right. they they need servants. Yeah, that makes sense. Then we get into some of the bigger stuff here. And uh, I don't know if this is Toriyama changing things, but it sort of kind of is changing things. And that's BBD did not create Majin Buu. Majin Buu has always existed. Yeah. And the interesting thing about this is that Toriyama explicitly says, you know, in the manga, they obviously say he was created by Bibidi. Mm-hmm. But so Toriyama says, oh, yeah, it says this in the manga, but actually, here's the real story. This and, is one of the only times where we explicitly get him saying, oh, yeah, I did write this, but dot, dot, dot. Yeah, like a lot of the other information, it doesn't it either flat out contradicts or doesn't quite fit well with stuff either from the manga or stuff he said in other interviews. But you have to work that out on your own. Here he's just flat out saying, you know this, forget this, here's the actual stuff. And so, yeah, he explains that Boo has always existed, well, or at least he's existed since a really, really long time ago. Mm-hmm. And he's just been this evil thing that's uh, cycled between hibernating for long periods of time and then rampaging around, then going back to sleep. And so Bibbidi, he Bibbidi just knew the way of waking Boo up. 
mm-hmm. and also for putting him back to sleep. Oh, yeah. And it also says that, like, Boo, as he goes around rampaging, he absorbs the evil elements from mankind, whatever that means. And so he becomes gradually more violent. And then at the end, Toriyama notes that since uh, Boo is kind of, he's kind of a different creature than he was before since he cast out the evil Boo. He, so he doesn't know if Boo will still need to go into these hibernations or not. I mean, if you want to go over to Dragon Ball Online, I mean, he's hanging out, making family, so... Yeah, that's only, quote unquote, only like 200 or so years in the future. So (laughs) if this guy's millions of years old, we don't really know how long these cycles would have been. And we get some stuff about his energy. He doesn't really need it. He just likes candy. Uh, and we get the the uh, the spell. I love this. Please tell us quietly. The spell that BBD left behind in his notebook to seal away Majin Buu. And Toriyama says, uh, we can't really pronounce it. But if he, he had to put it in letters, uh, I'm going to say it would be like, Nuemwitsimuaway. I mean, this is really weird. Just don't know if this comes across quite as well. But in katakana in Japanese, this is... It's like a string of stuff that's only used to write foreign words. So it's it's just a purposely ridiculous foreign-sounding word, which we, you know, you can kind of tell just in English, but it's a little more apparent in Japanese. And so, as far as I know, there's no like pun or anything here. You know, with uh, Piccolo Daimao's chant that he does when he uh, spits out eggs, that's mm-hmm. act like it seems like it's gibberish, but it's actually this old Japanese child's. It's a thing children. Like a ch- not a nursery rhyme, but like a schoolyard chant, I guess. Is that the racist one that you guys are talking about? Yeah, that's lately? that's the. Ra- it's like a China man, China man, who's poking you? <laughs> right. Yes. Anyway, so I don't know if this chant, I don't know if this magic spell is a reference to something else like that. It really doesn't seem to be, but mm-hmm. I can't really wrap my head around why Toriyama would otherwise just make up this crazy word and be like, well, here it is. Uh, I kind of want to move on to the Kaioshin here because this is where we start getting maybe some contradictory stuff because we had an entire new explanation of the Kaioshin back in 2009 in the super exciting guide volumes with the Shinjin and the World Tree and the golden fruits and the ma kaioshin and the kaios and being promoted and all that stuff what is said here and can these fit in the manga obviously they never really explain where the kaio or kaioshin come from they're just kind of there right like with the gods of each planet we get a little explanation of how they're chosen by the current the current gods they always choose their successor more or less but with the other like the gods like kaioshin we don't get an explanation in the manga where they come from. And so, in 2009, in the Super Exciting Guy, Toriyama said that actually they grow on trees. Or specifically, this world tree that exists out there somewhere. And this tree grows fruit, and out of these fruit are born the Shinjin, the like core people, like the fruit people. And then they hold lotteries to decide which of these uh, Shinjin become Kaios or Kaioshin. And Kaioshin, they only come from Shinjin born from special golden fruit. Anyway, so flash forward to the present day, and Toriyama gives another explanation for where Kaioshin come from. He doesn't mention Kaio specifically, so I don't know, mm-hmm. that's another thing. But how do you become a Kaioshin? And he says, actually, uh, nobody can. Kaioshin are born as Kaioshin. And he says that at any one time, there are three Kaioshin. There are two that are on duty, and then the other one is, like, resting. And so... If one of the current Kaioshin dies, then the third one will sprout up in the Kaioshin realm like a plant and just take over. Now, hold on, because we know there are more than two or three. 
Yeah, so that's the thing. In the manga itself, we're told that there were originally five Kaioshin, but then Boo, he kills two, he absorbs the other two, and that just leaves one, the one we know from the series, who's actually the East Kaioshin. And yet the original setup was supposed to be like with the Kaio, where you've got a North Kaioshin, East, South, West, and then above them, the being the boss of them all, is the Grand Kaioshin. And that's the explanation we get in the series. But then here, Toriyama's saying, oh, there's only three, and they take turns. Oh, that's the other thing. He says, like, they take they sh- take shifts. So he doesn't say how long, but I don't know, like, oh, they rule the universe for a million years and then take a break and have someone else do it for a while. But uh, so it's like, the question is, how do we uh, fit this in with what we're told in the series? Like, one way, you could say, maybe for each of the five Kaioshin mentioned in the series, there's two substitutes. I mean, it'd be kind of weird, but the, the thing is, in the series, when the um, other Kaioshin are killed or absorbed by Boo, they obviously aren't replaced as far as we see. Right, and aren't they explicitly noted as well as Northeast Southwest? Yeah, yeah. Um, when East Kaioshin first gives the explanation, he just says, oh, there used to be five, but I'm the only one left. Right. But, then at, but then at the end, before the final battle with the pure Boo, he, when he gives Boo's backstory about, you know, he absorbed all these guys... That's when he says, oh, you know, there's the Grand Kaioshin, I was the East, there was the North, the South, all those. Well, I'm, I'm going to say this, it just doesn't fit. Yeah. Never mind with the super exciting guide, it doesn't fit with the manga. That's the thing, it's like, I really love the idea of there being gods who have, like, shifts and yeah, substitutes. Yeah. Like, it's got, great, it's got great story potential, but it's like, it doesn't fit with the story we actually have. Oh, we'll get back to that. So the uh, the last thing here with the Kaioshin is uh, directly tied in with the series. Yet again, information that we didn't really have before. It's kind of answering a question that was out there. It's who put the Elder Kaioshin in the Z-Sword? Well, turns out it was Beerus. Yep, Beerus did it. No longer can we say a wizard did it. Now it's Beerus did it. No. So, okay, in the series, the Elder Kaioshin, what he says is that uh, long ago, a really strong, really evil guy was afraid of his um, his ability to draw people's power out, you mm-hmm. know, like, like he does with Gohan in the series. So someone, this evil dude, was afraid of this ability, so he sealed him away in the sword. And he, uh, Kaioshin, he also notes this guy was really strong, but doesn't seem like he was as strong as Majin Buu. Right. But in this question and answer thing, Toriyama says that, uh, actually, you know, you've got the Kaioshin, who are the gods of creation, they make planets. And then you've got the Hakaishin, the gods of destruction, who destroy planets. And so they don't really get along well, as you might expect. But every thousand years, they hold a meeting and they all get together. And so at one of these meetings, a god of destruction got into an argument over the elder Kaioshin about some stupid, meaningless thing. And so he sealed the elder Kaioshin away because he was mad, but he couldn't destroy the Kaioshin realm itself because that just isn't done, even though he might want to. Right. Oh, and by the way, that was Beerus that did it. (laughs) Toriyama just throws that in at the end before talking about, oh, a certain Kaioshin who, by the way, is the only Kaioshin who's ever been mentioned. You mean uh, god of destruction? Yeah, oh, sorry, the God of Destruction. Um, I mean, I know a lot of the strength comparison folks are losing their crap over, well, Beerus is clearly stronger than Boo, and if the God of Destruction wasn't as strong as Boo, then it couldn't be Beerus, this doesn't work. Yeah, well, I mean, we could just say that Beerus wasn't, he was weaker then. I mean, this could be millions and millions of years ago, so he could have just spent the intervening time training. Sure. Who knows? Or maybe. Or someone someone else had said, like, maybe Boo was weaker. Or no, Boo was stronger back then for some reason. Mm, And he just gets weaker. Who knows? But the other thing, of course, is that Beerus, he's not that evil. He... This doesn't fit with uh, the explanation Elder Kaioshin gives in the series. Like, Well, it fits the original concept for Beerus. Yeah. I mean, that's the funny thing. Like... 
Beerus was supposed to be evil, so... Which Toriyama didn't come up with, so it's not like he would explicitly be thinking of, maybe incorrectly, the original idea. I mean, that wasn't his, so... I guess the thing, the obvious, if we want to solve this contradiction, the obvious thing we could say is that Elder Kaioshin in the series is just lying, and this is the real story. I mean, lots of people have been saying recently that every single Kaioshin seems to be a pretty unreliable narrator. Yeah, and, you know, his whole story is that he was sealed away for being too awesome. Right. So, you know, it's kind of self-serving. It would almost be in character for the real story to be like, oh, he was, they were arguing about, you know, if the North or South Pole is colder and he got sealed away for that. All right. And then the rest of the Psycho Jump interview, just a couple of quick little points here and there about other characters. Uh, Toriyama basically saying, yeah, I can't write romantic stuff. Um, that's why he won't tell how uh, 18 and Kududin fell in love. But probably, you know, she ended up falling for him because of his uh, seriousness and straightforwardness was refreshing. Uh, we get the Vegeta, has he ever been to a bargain sale? Uh, no, but he probably just heard about it on TV. Uh, and then I know a question that folks have been latching on to is uh, Goku keeps getting stronger. We had Super Saiyan 3 in the manga, Super Saiyan 4 in the anime, which obviously GT. Um, so will Super Saiyan keep getting stronger? Will we ever see a Super Saiyan 5? And Toriyama, uh, this kind of fits more than anything else is uh, just coming back to he probably won't because he's looking for the, the most effective form and it seems like the regular Super Saiyan now of course we have Super Saiyan God and just uh, kind of get the most out of that yeah so it's kind of, it's kind of a callback to in the series when Goku he's sure. showing he's showing off the grade forms the really muscular forms and he's like, he goes, oh, these, you know, they got a lot of power, but they're not that fast. So regular Super Saiyan, that's the most balanced. So let's just stick with that and make that, we'll just perfect that. And then it also, it seems to tie into the Elder Kaioshin and his power-up where he says to Gohan, essentially, you know, that Super Saiyan thing, that's all that transforming, that's stupid. You're Don't wasting. Yeah. yeah don't transform, just make your regular form as strong as it can be. And it also seems to tie into the ending of Battle of Gods where Goku, he's got Super Saiyan God, but at the end, he like absorbs that power somehow and can just use it as a regular Super Saiyan. Yep, yeah, he's he's fighting. He didn't realize that he was no longer in Super Saiyan God. He's still holding his own. Yeah, Toriyama is just saying kind of what uh, has always been the underlying point here, which is, you know, make yourself better. Yeah, it's like, you don't need to keep going. You don't need Super Saiyan 5 or 6 or 7. Just stick with the basics and get really good at that. I think that's fine. And then the whole thing wraps up. Who created the Tenkaichi Budokai and why? And uh, I guess it originated in a festival held long ago at a temple, which is now where the tournament grounds are. Okay, sure. I think that's been said somewhere else, but I'm not sure. I mean, it sounds like it could be. Sure. Whatever. Yeah. I mean, it fits with the... I mean, it is held at a temple and it does... It has a... Like, it has festival decorations. Yeah. yeah I mean, it, it's the same kind of thing any holiday we have where it takes on a new meaning over time kind of loses some of its meaning over time and just becomes this commercialized event i feel like the budokai definitely as mr satan comes into being uh kind of goes that way yeah and i guess we should also say that the answer toriyama gives about how krillin and merit or krillin number 18 <laughs> yeah, fell yeah. in love almost word for word the same thing he said in daisenshu 7 when asked about it right so he's consistent in that, at least. <laughs> yes, at least one thing he's consistent about. All right, so that was the Psycho Jump Q&A. Some okay stuff in there, some new tidbits. 
Uh, also released that day, Jake, you just translated, are uh, the Q&As from Volumes 4, 5, and 6 of the Cell Arc full-color manga releases over in Japan. Same kind of thing as 1, 2, 3, and even going back the the Frieza Arc volumes and such. You know, Back when we had the sign-in, the Frieza Arcs, it was a lead-up to Battle of Gods, so we got some Toriyama answers about that kind of stuff. Now this is all just this part of the series he's answering. So we get a couple kind of softball basic questions that Shueisha just kind of answers, like, what's the source for Cell? Cell's name and what's the inspiration for Cell's design? We got it. So uh, the real interesting material here, the questions that Toriyama answers himself. And again, there's some basic stuff like Cell's personality is like, oh, no, it's an original personality. He's got bits of other people in there. Not really saying anything. And even the rest of this, uh, the one from part four, we we get uh, the answer of who's his favorite uh, he said second form cell, and we get the answer about how he was asked to change that. Um, that was you, Kondo, right? His second editor that asked for that one. Yeah, so it seems like Toriyama's memory is actually getting a little fuzzy, even on real-world events. Yeah, it is. This one, he was right, but we'll get to another one he was wrong. Okay, yeah, yeah. So he, he was good there. So part four, Q&A, nothing truly exciting there. Just a little bit of a talking about Cell. Uh, and then we get to part five. We actually get a repeat of something we learned back in 2009, and that was Mr. Satan's real name. It's almost exactly the same thing that we heard before, right? Yeah. I haven't checked, but it almost seems like they copied and pasted it. <laughs> it does feel that way, yeah. But yeah, he says, Mr. Satan's just a ring name. It's just a scary sounding professional wrestler type name. And his real name is Mark, which is a pun on Akuma, devil. And in the region where Mr. Satan lives, they don't have both uh, given names and surnames. So his full name, it's just Mark. He's not Mark Satan or Mark uh, Johnson or anything like that. Just Mark. Uh, I feel like we talk about this a lot. There's a quote directly in the series when Videl and Gohan are are first courting, I suppose you could say. She notes that it's uh, rare for people to have a surname, Son, obviously, Son Gohan. Uh, And that's why she's like, nope, I'm just Videl. And so he is just Mark. And then we get, yep, he's got a chauffeur. Okay. Then we get to part six, which is the final volume of the Cell Arc in the full color manga. Uh, You know, the Shueisha questions are just recapping who are all the villains in the series. Uh, A little bit about the future that Trunks came from. I thought this was interesting because uh, we should have had... If you go by the original Tom Cobone release, Trunks the story should have been within here. But because the full color is based off the Kanzenban, we probably won't get Trunks the story till the very end. I think they're acknowledging that with this Q&A where they're like, uh, go check it out. You can find it in this volume in this volume. Yeah, essentially it's an ad for Trunks the story. <laughs> it is. Uh, and then Shenlong wishes. And here we go. All the stuff about 17 and 18. So, uh... Just easing into things here. The question is, can they get stronger if they train? And yeah, apparently they can. They are human-based. They are cyborg, so they can get stronger. They can train. Uh, They don't need to eat, though. They do need to hydrate. And we get a good answer here. Also, their cells deteriorate slowly, so they age slowly, too. So 17 and 18 got to be around a while. Yeah, and so... I know in Dyson Shoes 7's 18's biography, it says she doesn't age, Mm. but... And also, the other, a lot of people have pointed out in the GT, uh, sides story, the Goku Jr. thing, uh-huh. it says a hundred years later, like only Pawn, Pawn is the only Z warrior still around. <laughs> right. 18 should be out there somewhere. Well, that's, well, that's the thing. People have long said this doesn't make sense because, I mean, the idea that 18 doesn't age at all has been kind of standard received wisdom. And so mm-hmm. a lot of people said, oh, that's inconsistent. 18's immortal. But I guess this fits better if, like, if she ages slowly, she might have died after 100 years. Mm, yeah, yeah. 
Maybe. I mean, even in GT, when we get, I'm thinking of the Super 17 arc, she looks older, but a lot of that's just her outfit and her haircut, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Anyway, so. So then, Jake, we kind of get the big information here. This is what everyone's been talking about. I think more than any other bit of information. Jake, what are the real names for 17 and 18? Lapis and Lazuli, which is a pun on dot 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 lapis lazuli it doesn't explicitly say what it's a pun on but i think we can just assume i mean it's just the words <laughs> yeah it couldn't possibly be more direct even in kana is it literally just exactly how you spell the rock oh yeah uh, yeah yeah anyway uh, so i should say 17 is lapis and uh, 18 is lazuli Okay, so we got that information. And then I kind of like where he goes from here because, uh, I mean, we've talked a, a bit about how that panel was originally supposed to be lunch in the manga that got replaced with number 17. Uh, that was expanded a little bit in the TV version. We really see him holding people up out there in the woods. Uh, what is Toriyama's answer here about what happened to 17? Says he became a uh, guard at a nature reserve or nature park, a royal nature park. And so he he fights poachers and he lives in the nature park with his wife, who is a zoologist. And they have one child and then two adopted children. And since he's so good at his job, he takes in a pretty high salary. And one time he did go and visit Krillin at number 18, but he didn't really tell them what he was doing with his life, apparently because... As a formal delinquent, he finds such a, this wholesome family life kind of embarrassing to talk He's about. embarrassed by it, yeah. Almost like Vegeta in a way. Yeah, yeah. Even more so, it seems like. I mean, Vegeta's kind of in the mix there. He can't hide what's going on, but 17's hiding out in the woods, I guess, with his family. He's adopting kids, too. This is crazy. Uh, okay. So, yeah. So, and so this seems to tie into the number 17's cameo appearance at the end of the manga, you know, when everyone's contributing uh, energy to the Genki Dama. And for no apparent reason, 17 is out in the middle of nowhere holding a shotgun. Right. So do you think Toriyama went back? Oh, I drew that. Uh, here's what's going on. And that's that's fine. That's cool. It could be. It could also be that that's just the idea he had in his head at the time. and He, he finds, always had. Yeah. yeah. I don't remember what interview it is, but somewhere Toriyama said that he actually did come up with like backstories like that. And mm -hmm. he, he'd just never have them in the story because it, he, if it was too much of a pain to have that explained, <laughs> yeah. he'd just have it never explained. Right, right. So we get a panel of him with a gun and we're left to make it up. And at least now we get a sentence about it. And uh, the last thing here, this is one of these inside scoop things that they do throughout them. Uh, this is where Toriyama is misremembering. Uh, the question is here, number 20 is supposed to be the strongest enemy of the arc, right? And we get the answer that, oh, that was supposed to be it. But he specifically says, my editor at the time told me he was just an old geezer. So I stopped. Now, Jake, this is wrong. Yeah. So, uh um, okay, in previous interviews in Daisenshu 2, and or Daisen, the Shenlong Times number 2 insert in Daisenshu 2, right. they, there's a roundtable talk with Toriyama and the three editors he had over the course of the series. Yes, the actual subjects of this point here. Yeah, and so just to be clear, Toriyama, he, at any given time, he only had one editor, but he had three successive editors while he was doing the series. So uh, the, at first he had uh, Torishima, for all of Dr. Slump and then Dragon Ball up to the end of the 22nd Tenkechi Budokai and a little tiny bit of the Saiyan arc. And Torishima, of course, is immortalized as Dr. Mashirito in Dr. Slump. He's currently a, a big head honcho at Jump, I believe. Mm -hmm. And so after that, after uh, Torishima 
moved on. Uh, Toriyama got Yu Kondo as his editor for most of the Cyan arc, the Frieza arc, and then halfway through the Android arc, basically up until the Cell games start. Interesting, it's, which is a weird transition point, I always yeah, thought. Yeah. Anyway, and so this dude, this guy is supposedly the model for Frieza, although Toriyama himself denies doing this. And then, uh, so for the rest, for the Cell Games and the Boo arc, uh, Toriyama got Huyuto Takeda, who is this fat dude who is supposedly the model for Majin Buu. And we always heard he was the most lenient, which is why the Boo arc seems to be Toriyama having the most fun and just throwing shit at the wall, seeing what sticks. Yeah, and so on that note... Um, like the first two editors, they were infamous for rejecting Toriyama's ideas, mm-hmm. particularly Torishima, and whose catchphrase kind of just became rejected. Anyway, so the story Toriyama tells, like while he's in Daisenshu 2, while he's doing the uh, the early Android and Cell arc, at first he wanted tr- number 19 and 20 to be the main villains, but then he says that Torishima, who is no longer his editor, called him up and said, like, you know, these are crappy villains. Do something else. And so Toriyama says, like, well, I, ha- I had no choice, so I changed them. Which is interesting because Torishima was not even his editor anymore. So it's like, why did he have to do that? Did he just think, well, I guess he's right? Or was Torishima's position at the time, like, was he still high-ranking enough so that even if he wasn't his direct editor, he still had to follow his orders? I mean, we've we've talked so much about this with the intended endings guide, so really what we're getting at here is that in the new Q&A, Toriyama says his editor at the time, it was not Yukondo, it was Torishima that said this. So, yeah, so just be clear, so it's Torishima, his not-editor, who said, oh, get rid of 19 and 20, oh, get rid of 17 and 18, and then it was his current editor, Kondo, who said, oh, Cell's first form looks stupid, change it, oh, his second form looks really stupid, change it, oh, that looks good, keep that. And so I guess uh, the the previous information, the Shenlong Times, number two, is probably the most reliable, again, because the people that this involves were all there, so... That's probably the accurate information. Yeah, I mean, we kind of just have to assume. Like, for all we know, that could have been false. This could be true, but most likely not. Yeah, most likely not. So, Jake, here we are. We've reviewed all of this new information. This is the meat of the topic. It's probably not all that long because what can you say? The question here is, is this what we want 30 years later? Toriyama has finished the series. He's written Jocko the Galactic Patrolman. He's saying he's probably not going to do anything else. Do we want the author continuing to spit out new information about his world and his characters? What do you think? I mean, obviously, it's going to depend on just your preferences as a fan and I mean, what you want. And so a lot, something a lot of people have said is that information like this, it rather than expanding the universe, it actually shrinks it. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, like, like Toriyama saying, oh, yeah, Tao Pai Pai and Mr. Satan, they, they ran into each other earlier on. It's like these previously unconnected characters knew each other, so the universe is smaller now because... Everyone knows each other. Or like saying Bierce did essentially all this, all, everything. Like, oh, he sealed Elder Kaioshin away and he blew up Kaio's plan and all that stuff. I kind of see the logic to that. But at the same time, it I think it depends on like the circumstances. Like with Bierce, I think maybe saying he's sealed Elder Kaioshin away maybe does shrink the universe. But with 
tell Pai Pai and Mr. Satan, it's like they're both martial artists on Earth. I don't really mm-hmm. see the I don't see the problem in saying that they've met each other. Like they they were even in the same tournament, not at the same time, but still. Right, right. I mean, the weirdest thing about that is just the idea that they didn't meet as martial artists. They just ran into each other at a bar. So, and something I, I've seen a lot of people requesting, and I think I'm here too, is I'm okay with getting more information. We know that Toriyama is not, for example, Eiichiro Oda, where he has basically a Bible and a plan for his series. Toriyama explicitly states time and time again, he never planned. Occasionally, he had an idea of where he wanted to go, and we would get that, but... All in all, he did not plan things ahead. He's not really referring back to his own source material here as he comes up with new information. Jake, do we need someone in the room? I'm going to give Toybull, I mean Toyotaro, the role here. Do we need Toyotaro in the room to occasionally look over at? Do you shake his head yes? Okay, this one's good. Do you shake his head no? no, Nope, come up with something else. Do we need someone to fact check him? I guess this takes it back to what we were mentioning in passing a bit about how Toriyama had different editors and how some were more lenient than others. Mm-hmm. And so, like we and we went over this even in the intended endings topic, where it's it's like if you look at the most popular part of the series, it's probably the Cyan, Frieza, and Cell stuff, more or less. Yeah, yeah. And then a lot of people. I mean, personally, I like the Boo stuff, but a lot of fans have they don't like it as much. They think it's too crazy, too all over the place. And I think we can probably lay the blame for that down on Toriyama having a more lenient editor for that part of the series, someone who just let him do whatever he wanted. Whereas mm-hmm. with the other stuff, he had someone who would just try vet his ideas, who would make him work harder, who wouldn't just let him do whatever popped into his head. And so. I do think it says something that the part of the series where he did have someone to reject his ideas ended up being the most popular. And I think, yeah, there's probably a good point here saying that maybe he needs someone to say with these interviews to say, you know, just don't say anything that pops into your head. Just think about this a little. But at the same time, I don't want like you mentioned Toybull slash Toyotaro who's obviously a big continuity guy. If you look at his uh, Dragon Ball AF manga his uh, fan manga, it's all about like uh, subtle continuity references. Like that's half the fun. Right. And even over in Victory Mission, I mean, the cameos that are in there are just incredible. Yeah. But, you know, I, I love that stuff myself, but I don't think we should give that like someone like that the ability to the power. <laughs> yeah. It's like I don't I don't want someone who's so obsessed with just every little bit of detail from the past 30 years because if you do that then you're not going to get anything new and interesting Mm. so yeah it's it's kind of a trite thing to say but i think you have to strike a balance i don't know i i really feel like i do want someone there to say hey you came up with the back history five years ago uh this is totally different what are we doing here i don't even know what toriyama would say if you said that to him that that's true. That's true. I mean, I'm sure none of that would be on the record, and they would just go with whatever the answer was. We're never going to get these candid Q and As. I'm sure all of this is totally canned by the time it gets to us. But I, I want to get more personal here. Is I really love new information. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that can help sustain our fandom as we go forward. I mean, Dragon Ball has been over since the mid-90s. And yeah, we get some new stuff. We got Jocko. We got Battle of Gods. 
we get some new specials here and there. But this is the original author. And again, we're, we're dancing around the what is a canon topic. We will get back to that at some point. Uh, so I, I don't want to get into do you accept as fact this information? We're just kind of talking around it as you know, it's fun, new information. I do like it. I do want it. I'm just concerned. Yeah, so so like talking about do we need this information or do we want it? Like with the 2009 super exciting stuff, like I really loved the uh, origin of the Kaioin Kaioshin he gave there because well for one thing, it seemed to fill in a, a legitimate hole in the original story where we had these characters and we didn't really know where they came from. And so this explained that and it did it in a really interesting and funny way, just saying, "Oh, they grow on trees." And it it really, it did seem to flesh out the universe in a positive way. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, other people, their mileage may vary, but that's the kind of thing I really like. I think that adds to the universe. But then, like, here with this new stuff, I mean, obviously, we've got the new origin for the Kaioshin that seems to contradict not only the previous origin, but what we see in the series <laughs> the itself. Right. Yeah. I mean, the the other origin, it had its problems, too, like where it said, oh, if a Kaio dies, he's new one's chosen by lottery. We don't see that in the series where Kaio dies, but the problems are a lot smaller than with this new thing where it's like, oh, there's only three. It's like, it's really hard to work that out. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, apart from just contradictions, there's the question of like, okay, if oh, for ages and ages, fans wondered, what were 17 and 18's real names? And there were all these, like, Canada, I think you've mentioned in the past, like, for some reason, 18 was always said to be named Rose in fan fiction. Uh, I don't recall ever saying that, but that wouldn't surprise me. Oh, uh, might have been. Um, who is it who runs Lovely Cyborg? Uh, Maggie. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So I think when she was on, she mentioned that, but mm. I don't know. But I mean, obviously, there's been a lot, there's been fan speculation about these topics. And so now we've got an official answer on this topic. And so does that like hurt the fandom because now we can't speculate on what their real names were? We've got an answer. Sometimes we do like these mysteries. We, we don't necessarily need to know every little detail. You know, 17 and 18, the, the fact that they were so mysterious is that was fun. But on the other hand, this might be a little off topic, but like with Dragon Ball Minus, like learning about Goku's mother. I know a lot of people said that took away the mystery. But at the, me personally, I always felt like, you know, we've got all this information on Goku's father. So in light of that, the fact that we didn't know anything about his mother until DB minus, it did feel like an actual hole. It just felt weird. Hmm. I could see the argument that, oh, we should keep it mysterious if we didn't know anything about either of Goku's parents. Gotcha. Yeah. But just knowing everything about his father, having like 40 different stories about Goku's father, <laughs> right? contradictory stories, but still all this stuff on his father, nothing on his mother. That did feel weird. Did it? I mean, how many other mothers? I mean, as we get later in the series, I mean, it's Chi Chi, Bulma, 18, I guess mother's oh, Bulma's mother. I don't know. I don't know. You're bringing me around, but I'm still, I don't know. I'm, obviously, it's personal preference, but... I mean, I think there's a difference between legitimate, like, mysteries that are there to be intriguing and mysteries that are just there because Toriyama was lazy. And yeah. I'm okay with Toriyama filling in s- mysteries that are there because he's lazy. But if mysteries that are there to be intriguing, obviously, I think it's probably their best left unexplored. So here's where we're going to go. I asked the question on Twitter earlier. What do you think of all this uh, bombshell dropping we got going on? I have a lot of responses. So, Jake, I'm going to hit up a, a whole bunch rapid fire and i want your your thoughts on their thoughts real quick okay 
All right, so we got James saying it's, it's an exciting and terrifying time to be a fan. New stuff from Toriyama is nice, but not when laxly spoken or ill-considered. I know a lot of people, well, some people have said similar things like, oh, they like he said, oh, it's terrifying. And some people have said, oh, Toriyama's hurting the franchise and stuff like that. Like, I don't understand what there is to be afraid of. Like, what? even if he says really insane, stupid things, it's... It's not really hurting anyone. It's not. It's just out there in a in an issue of jump. Like I don't know. Yeah, I mean the difference is that we can catalog things so much easier and so much more comprehensively, and it does bring in whether you want to get into the canon discussion or not. I mean, when it's coming from the mouth of the author himself, it's very different from episode of Bardock. You know. I mean, I think the only one who really needs to be afraid of this is us, who are sort of committed to documenting it. <laughs> right. Otherwise, you can just read the series, watch the series, and not cons- not bother with any of this if that's your preference. Well, I mean, the question, just going back to last week's episode, is we thought we knew Bardock. Well, apparently we don't, so it changes that. All right, let's keep going. David says, I love how Toriyama keeps pulling the rug under the fandom's expectations, especially the whole Super Saiyan regular form deal. Yeah, I, I did like the fact that we've got all these years of talk about like Super Saiyan 5, all these fan ideas about newer and better Super Saiyan forms, even with the new movie where Super Saiyan God, that wasn't Toriyama's idea. That was just Toei's idea of what they thought should be in a new Dragon Ball movie. And Toriyama just took that and just said, nah, new forms are stupid. Just stick with the old form, the basics. I did like that. See, Tyler's got like three tweets here basically saying uh, the 1718's names, it was really sudden and out of nowhere, ruins the mystery a little bit. Ties in kind of with what we're saying about mystery. Uh, Steve addresses something you mentioned earlier not too happy most of these additions either keep shrinking the world or just being plain ridiculous i mean i kind of like ridiculous but your mileage may vary uh albert says i really wish toriyama had a guy by his side to spot check him every time he decides to drop new info about dragon ball saying the same thing we were talking about there but of course if he had like if he had that when he was writing the series would we have ever gotten like half the series it's true Yep. Let's see. Fog Dark says Toriyama is simply having fun and I thank him for it. Still, I can't help but think he's planning more for Dragon Ball, to be honest. That was something I was wondering about, like with his new origin for Boo. Is he just doing that for the heck of it or does he have something in mind? Yeah. Does he want to tell a story or maybe have Katsura draw him a story for yeah. him? Who knows? Uh, Sean, buddy Kaboom. Toriyama's input can be a double edged sword, but so long as you stand at a safe distance, it's fun to see him swing it around. Yeah, well said. Uh, Jacob says, stories should take precedence over continuity with a 30-year-old comic. Just make it good. That is, uh, I guess, tying into DB- minus there where it's like, well, it's new information, but it didn't really form a dramatic story. I mean, a lot of, I kind of thought that, a lot of people thought that. So yeah, it's just like, just facts. It's not necessarily as interesting. You know, I, I, just going along with that, I feel like we got more story out of that answer about 17 and his family and what he's up to. Then I got story in Dragon Ball Minus. And we're talking about what, like three sentences there? Yeah, it's kind of, it's not how long it is. It's what you do with it, I guess. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Scott, buddy, Kazuneko, team four star simply says, I like it. Good. <laughs> okay. Chris Kerberfer says, me too. They're cute and pretty much in line with his general mentality. I mean, that is true. I mean, this is what he's always done. It's just come up with stuff off the seat of his pants and in the same chain caleb agrees with everyone saying thirded i like learning little tidbits like this and i don't worry about the impact on the story and no one has to no you don't have to i guess we'll uh we'll leave it there jake that was uh toriyama doing some stuff yep 
<laughs> love to hear what everyone thinks, uh, whether you want to contribute in the response thread we have for this episode, as we do with every episode over on the forum on Konzenshu. Uh, responses, Twitter, Facebook, Google+, YouTube, wherever. Love to hear it from you. And then to wrap up the episode, we, of course, have to ask that most important question. Who's that character? So here's the thing. It was tricky. But it's triple tricky. Here is the clip we played for you last week on the show. I did see a correct guess. It was indeed King Vegeta. Here's the thing. Three people have played King Vegeta. We have in Dragon Ball Z episode 78, Banjo Ginga, who of course also played several other characters. Uh, we have Giron, Silver, and of. Uh, Bora might be one of his most notable characters. In episode 124, King Vegeta was played by Yukimasa Kishino, played uh, several other characters, played Bata, he was Tao Pai Pai, uh, he was Bad Guy A in a later episode. So I love you know, Bad Guy A. Bad Guy A, great. Uh, and then in movie eight, DBZ movie eight, King Vegeta was played by Masaharu Sato, who we probably know most recently as the current Kami Senin, the Turtle Hermit in Kai, uh, and a couple extra little times here and there. Uh, I'm pretty sure he was movie 13, the Kame Senin, back when we had about three different voice actors for Kame Senin as well, back when Kohei Miyauchi unfortunately passed away. So here's the question, is which King Vegeta was this? This was actually Banjo Ginga from DBZ episode 78. So uh, good on y'alls who did recognize the character from uh, probably the context of the dialogue there, but I didn't see anyone guess the voice actor. And I'm not sure how many people realize that King Vegeta had three different voice actors. So this week's Who's That Character is going to be a very, very obvious one. I shouldn't have to say who it is. Here is the clip we are doing in honor this week. One more time, that clip. Shouldn't have to tell you who it is, but we would love to see your thoughts and your tributes to, again, who that very obviously is this week. Uh, that is going to bring us to a close here. Episode, what is this, 362 of the podcast, Consensu. Jake, thanks for joining me, man. Good to have you on every time. No problem. So we're done here. Uh, next week may actually be an off week. So stay tuned. We'll see what we have in the pipeline. I think everyone needs a week off after uh, the extreme work that's been going on. You did translations. Julian did translations. Julian's doing older translations. He said he just wrapped up something else. Uh, Heath, of course, is making the site not broken on a daily basis, making sure we can keep accessing the site. And I'm kind of copying and pasting a lot. So there's a lot of work going on. Jake, what do you uh what do you want to work on soon? Well, I did always want to go back and actually like get my timeline guide up on the site. But of course, now I've got so much stuff to update it with. So Oh god, I know you have to pull in just like you were saying earlier, the the Mr. Satan and Tao Pai Pai stuff. How do you even note that? You you yeah. kind of have to put it in two different places. Yeah, or just like, you know, the Beer sealing away the elder Kaioshin or Boo's new origin. Yeah, I don't know. Like, how do I say that? Like, oh, yeah, um, yeah, he's existed, but somehow people started to think he was made by Bibbidi. I don't know. Yeah, it's tough. All right. Well, 
Good luck. Uh, so I guess we're done here. This was 362. We'll see you next time whenever that is for 363. www.kanzenshu.com. That is Member, there's a website with all the stuff we're talking about. You can read it. We'll link to it with this podcast episode. Twitter, Facebook, Google+, YouTube. Uh, Tumblr has cat pictures. Uh, we'll expand at some point in the future. So for Jake over there, for Heath, for Julian, for all the good friends and co-hosts and people we have, uh, I've been Mike, Vegito EX. Jake, wrap it up. Well, that's it for this episode. Tune in again next time. Mighty <laughs> Mighty